Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. <laughs> um, hi. Hi. Uh, sorry, I don't. I truly never know how to actually start. Does anyone? This pod. Does anyone? Um, welcome to Broadway Breakdown, our wonderful subsection, my obsession. I am truly just your host these days, Matt Koplick. Uh, John Miscavige. You just heard him in the last episode. Who knows when we'll hear him again? <laughs> but you know what? It's fine because joining me is another gay. I hope yes. I'm not outing you. No. Um, great. Uh, his name is James Crichton. Yes. Hi, James. Hi. Uh, James toured the country uh, in Peter and the Starcatcher. Yes. Yes. I I researched. I do oh, research. I was going to say, did you do a little background check? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. I want to make sure who I have on this damn pod, um, sitting on the pod. And he also has his own podcast. Yes, I do. It's on iTunes yeah. and Spotify. Yes. Uh, it's called Actors on Process. Correct. And here's the tea, y'all. While I just, like, grab people who are willing to sit in a room with me, who are usually just friends or friends of my mom, James has had Jessica Hecht, Telly Leung, uh, did I say his name correctly? You did, yeah. Okay, amazing. Um, and then the one that actually kind of got me a little hot and bothered was uh, Frederick Weller. <laughs> I didn't listen only because I, your episodes are long and I haven't had time. They're I've been so busy. long. They're long. And I've been busy editing. Uh... But Frederick Weller, I saw him in Mothers and Sons. Yes. And I was like, you are a handsome daddy. Then I saw him in To Kill a Mockingbird and had very mixed feelings because he played a truly despicable person. Yeah. But, God damn it, is he handsome. So I was like, you're awful, but I want to sit on your face. <laughs> He's also incredibly kind. and Yeah, they're all kind when they're in front of a microphone. <laughs> He's, but I will say off the microphone, he is incredibly generous and will say to me like, Hey, like, do you want me to try to connect you with this person? I think that you would be like a great match and you should like interview this person. He's just been so generous with his time and he's a busy actor and yeah. father. So yeah, he's very appreciative. He's a daddy. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about me yeah. that I've had over a dozen people on this pod and none have been like, oh my God, can I like connect you with my friend? Because I think they would love being on your podcast. They're all like, <laughs> everybody's just like, thanks for this, I guess. I'm going <laughs> to see myself out the door. Like, I'm pretty sure Caitlin Kinnanen's like, wow, lowest point of my career. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. First, let's, let's get to basics. Great. Who is James Crichton? Oh my gosh. Who is James Crichton? What Disney movie is he? Beauty and the Beast. I don't know if I am Beauty and the Beast, but that's my favorite Disney movie. The original, obviously. 1991 or whatever it is. And how do you feel about the hot garbage fire of the remake? Uh, That's the one with Emma... Emma Watson's computer, yes. (laughs) Um, Listen, I went there and I kind of liked it because I was just so... um, happy to be like experiencing that music again but i miss the cartoon like i love that beautiful 
illust- those like beautiful illustrations and the music. Like I used to like walk around my house growing up listening to like the incidental music from oh, the yeah. like CDs. The transformation <laughs> is gorgeous. The, Alan Menken has written some beautiful incidental music. Um, I mean, I listen to the opening title sequence of Little yes. Mermaid almost oh. daily. Oh, you do? Um, yeah. Well, it's it's gorgeously orchestrated. I know. But I listen to the transformation music all the time for Beauty and the Beast. The, I mean, the Beauty and the Beast is just as gorgeous, but it also has a bigger orchestra than Mermaid. Like, they yeah. were given... Weirdly, they weren't given as big a budget, but they had a larger orchestra. Well, you can also, like... What was so amazing about those old VHS tapes, I remember, is, like, you could watch them, like, in the recording mm-hmm. sessions, and you could see how beautiful all of that... Yeah, Beauty and the Beast... Is, I don't know if that means, like, that's what I am, but Beauty but and the Beast is you... my absolute... It's just my go-to. It's my yeah. favorite thing of all time. Was that your intro into musical theater, Disney? Um... Maybe. I feel like it might have also been The Wizard of Oz. Also sensible. Yeah. I feel Judy. like it might have been a combo platter of yeah. like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. and like The Wizard of Oz, I think. Do you remember the first straight play you saw? Which is important coming up to your obsession later It on. is. It is important. Oh, God. Not, uh, not War Horse. Maybe... If it were War Horse, that was... 2011. I know. I know. I was very late to the game. Jesus. Um, the importance of being... No. I, maybe Warhorse. I was late to the game with straight plays. Damn, bitch. Very late to the game. Very late. Yeah. Late bloomer. I know. I, Holler if you hear me. I, but I was when I was younger, I thought I was only interested in musicals. Got it. I thought that was it. Sure. I was only going to school for musicals. I was only doing this. And then... Um, I stumbled into doing a play in high school and mm-hmm. I was like, what's happening here? I love this. Yeah. And then I, the tiniest bio is just like, I went a few blocks over. I spent my freshman year at Marymount Manhattan mm-hmm. and I did study musical theater for one year. But when I was there, I was like jealous of the BFA acting students because I didn't know anything about Chekhov and Shakespeare and all those things. So I applied to transfer and go somewhere else and I studied acting then and then I started doing plays and then seeing them constantly wonderful yeah so that's, that's sort of where the the segue happens it's a lovely little it's a lovely little thing yeah yeah you're welcome thank you um, <laughs> so okay so then straight plays uh, how did the podcast come about actors on process uh, that's a great question also thank you um, I mean not I was, my first rodeo it's not. I did. You have many more episodes than I do. Um, I've I, also. It's also been around longer than you have. Although I believe you have more reviews than we do. Oh. Our our listeners. I keep asking our listeners to to rate us, review us, and I'm like, guys, it's not just because I'm thirsty. It's because like it helps. It helps. It helps with the algorithm. It you show up higher in yeah. searches with all that stuff. So like, I know we have a good number of listeners. I can see the numbers every week. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, bitches, where are you? Come out yeah. and listen. I, I, I always set up, I, I set up a challenge to write us the gayest reviews. That you can. Yes. yes. Um, extra bonus points if you mentioned Smile the Musical. If you right, mentioned, you love that. I love Smile. Uh, if you mentioned Carousel or Sally Murphy, right. uh, Audra McDonald. And people have. Some people have. But and I'm that like, is good. For that, is, that is always on good brand. for me. Always on brand. Um, so the next one, I'm, I would like one to mention like Jody Benson's Vibrato or Liz Calloway's Mix. That's okay. what I would like for the next one. Love that. If someone could. Love that for you. Um, but yeah. so yeah, we're talking about your podcast. Um, you asked me how it how came, it came about. about. Yeah. Um, I was doing a play in Washington, D.C. Uh, April through June of 2018. Mm-hmm. And it was really sort of um, complicated and difficult. And um, I was constantly emailing and calling and messaging like a mentor of mine maria dizia who i interview on the yes podcast. yes you have yes yes who i saw in in the next room or, or the, the vibrator play. play also in orange is the new black that's right she played the best friend she's about to do uh what the constitution means to yes me. she is in los angeles and all across the country <sighs> she's so perfect for that it's really mind-blowing but um I, I stumbled into her class at the Freeman Studio, mm-hmm. her scene study class, and she instantly just became kind of a mentor and um, constantly was coaching me on my auditions and things like that. And I was just basically like reached out to her being like, you do a lot of new plays and uh, can you help me? Like I was struggling just with rewrites and how to take certain notes and adjustments and how to sh- reshape things and... It got me thinking all the questions that I was asking her 
when I finished that process and I was sort of like reflecting on it, I was like, imagine if you could just sit down and make a list of all the things that scare you about acting and things that we don't really tend to talk about. Mm -hmm. And what would it be like if you could ask some of your acting like idols or people that you really look up to, what would it be like to get there? point of view. And so it started with me asking Maria Dizia and um, Jessica Hecht if they would be interested in in sitting down with me. And they both said yes. And then once they said yes, it kind of opened the door for me to reach out to other people. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I released 10 episodes uh, a few months ago in July of 2019. And then I'll release the second season in February of 2020. Wonderful. Yeah. Are they recorded? Do you have people lined up yet? Or I did see four interviews so far for it and then I'm done until recording I guess at this time we're mm-hmm. at the end of December but um, I'm gonna do the rest of the interviews in the the winter of 2020 I guess so essentially you've conned a bunch of famous actors into giving you one-on-ones basically saying. yeah awesome yeah I should take note yeah uh, if I can con Jesse Mueller into coming on this podcast she and I'm might just, and I'm just gonna be like so let's talk about your obsession, but also how do you do what yeah. you do? Ask so her well. to talk shop. Absolutely. Talk all the shop. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, but she might get mad that I'll be like, I have to post about it on social media. She doesn't like social media. Oh, maybe. Yeah. You know who also used to not like social media and now he's so into it? Gavin Creel. He's like, <laughs> he's like, get off of Instagram. And then he like got an Instagram. <laughs> Um, so follow him. Well, I I just remember his Hello Dolly Tony speech. He was like, he's like, stop going on the social media. He's like, create art. And then he got an Instagram account. And I'm like, oh, honey. (laughs) You you were like, like, just like Nomi Malone and Showgirl saying you're not a whore. And then you go off and be a whore. (laughs) I am not a whore. Instagram. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. James has an obsession, everybody. I do. It's a good one. What's your obsession today, James? Um, should I lean into the microphone? Uh, my so obsession... Do like an ASMR. Mary Louise Parker. Mary Louise Parker. Yeah, I should have whispered it a little more, but it sounds like we're speaking parcel tongue. Um, uh, I, listen, <clears throat> if any bitch could speak parcel tongue, it's probably Mary Louise Parker. That's right. Um, yeah, Mary Louise Parker. Great. That's so, the obsession. That's, let's just ju- dive right into it. We're going to get off topic a bunch anyway, that's so let's fine. just dive right into it. How did you first get introduced to Mary Louise Parker? And I'm glad you said that because I wrote a little cheat sheet, and that is my first bullet point. My first bullet point says, what was your way in? And I feel like everybody with like a celebrity of some kind sure. has like a way in. Like, yeah. What was your sort of like jumping off point? And what it was for me, which was so funny, was I have a very, very, very close friend, Jenna Hockman, and she was obsessed with weeds, mm-hmm. like obsessed with weeds. And at that point in my life, I wasn't really like watching a lot of TV shows. And sure. she was watching everything on Showtime. She was watching Dexter and weeds and I just wasn't watching yeah. that. Um... And she would always be talking about weeds and Dexter and weeds and Dexter. And one day she sat me down and she was like, we're going to watch Dexter. And we watched the entirety of it. And then I guess it was just sort of like a natural segue to weeds. But before that, right when I graduated from college, I had an audition for the Snow Geese, which Mary Louise did at Manhattan Theater Club. Yes, she did. And I had always wanted to have an audition at Manhattan Theater Club. And I was so excited. And I remember my agent at the time called and was like, you have an audition. Uh, it's to play Mary Louise Parker's son. And I was like, cool. And she was like, don't you think that's awesome? And I was like, I, I have to be honest. I was like, I just don't actually know who that is. Yeah. She was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I, I just don't happen to know who it is. And then I called my friend Jenna and I was like, listen, that woman who you're obsessed with on weeds, I was like, I have an audition to play her son in, in the play. And she was like, you're joking. So I prepared for that, um, audition and I did the audition and I did not get it but I went to see the play with Jenna Mm -hmm. and that was my way in because I kind of remember being so mesmerized by this woman who by all accounts is like contemporary but also has the affinity for like heightened language and can be so moldable in so many different ways. And I was so transfixed by her. I actually saw the Snow Geese three times. And um, that's you might of, be the only person that did. I loved the Snow Geese. 
I mean, I didn't see it. I have no opinion of it. I, I loved just... that it felt like a Chekhov play and that it felt, um, I just, I was so, and the cast, it was like Danny Burstein and Victoria mm-hmm. Clark and. It was a big cast. It oh, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful cast. And, and I just remember being kind of obsessed with it. And mm-hmm. that was my world into yeah. her. And so immediately then I went away and I would go to Lincoln Center and I would just watch archival videos of her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you probably, where did you go to college again? Emerson. So you were Boston. reading like acting one-on-one or like acting yeah. whatever. You, we had to, we had, it might, at Marymount Manhattan, freshman year, we had to read Proof. Uh-huh. And I read Proof and I loved Proof, but like I didn't put two and two together that she originated the part in Proof. Mm-hmm. So I went home and when I was doing my like obsession, like trying to figure out everything about her, I was like, oh my God, she won the Tony for this play. Mm-hmm. Like I have to reread it and, and go. And I went and watched her at the Lincoln Center Archives and that was heaven on earth. And then... Basically, at this time now, I'm going back and doing everything that I can. I promise this is a short story, but like going back and doing everything I can to like research her and watch all the archival videos. I read How I Learned to Drive, which we'll put a pin in because mm. we'll that's come back to it, yeah. coming up in 2020. But um, and I like read How I Learned to Drive, and now we're like fast forwarding a little bit. I watched the entirety of Weeds, mm-hmm. and so now I've seen her entirety and i also watched angels in america so i guess we have to yes. loop that in so i've seen the the biggest portions of her like on camera work as well as what i think are some of her greatest play stuff mm-hmm. did you watch weeds i did so did you fall off i did yes yeah. so, um I will say, so my intro to Mary Louise Parker, I can't pinpoint exactly. I think it was The West Wing. I believe that is when I first right. was introduced to her. Because right. my, fam- my family was a big West Wing family. We As like, most were. From like the moment, from the first episode, we were in it to win it. For of like, course. Um, and I know my parents continued watching it for a very long time. I fell off around season three or four. Uh, How many are there? Five? I think no, there's like think about like seven. Oh, seven or oh, eight seasons. Yeah. Nine. Aaron Sorkin was only there, I think, for the first five. Oh, um, and I think I stopped after season three. But Mary Louise Parker... Yeah, she had like... It was supposed to be like one role. Yeah, like one episode. And then episodes. it... She blossomed, yeah. She, and she became Rob Lowe's sort of yeah. uh, counterpoint for a long time. And I, I remember thinking she was very engaging and very magnetic. Yeah. I, I was going to say charismatic, but that's the wrong term. Because it's not that... Charismatic, I think, more describes people who are like... Um, light and there's a lightness about how heavy she can be yeah that makes sense because she doesn't do frothy and she doesn't do bubbly or quirky no there's a heaviness about her but it's not this lumbering Chekhovian it's heaviness. so it's so easy for her. yes exactly she sunk into something that is if you were looking at her you would kind of be like oh is she and actually i remember reading this article about her and i was so in love with it they kind of just said to her, like, what are your pet peeves? What are your this? Mm-hmm. And I forget. I've tried to find this article again because I loved it so much. It was like this interview that she was doing. And, and someone said to her, like, do you have any pet peeves or what bothers you? And I remember she said the only thing, and I'm paraphrasing, but I remember she said um, the only thing that she doesn't really have patience for is unpreparedness. Like, people not being ready to go. Yeah. like Because she is functioning at a level of such depth, I think, that, mm-hmm. like... On the surface, it looks like so easy, but I think that there's a well of something underneath her. Oh yeah, she's just she's firing on such a a cylinder that is unlike anyone else, and she can do it so quickly. And the way that she listens, like everything, is just in her eyes. To make something seem so organic and natural requires so much prep, yeah, so much work. So I've actually, I've I haven't gotten on my soapbox about it on this podcast, but I've yelled about about it to a couple of people. So, did you see the Judy Garland movie with Renee Zellweger? Judy, I didn't, no. it's not very good. Oh. She's good. There are times even when she's great, but for the most part, she's only just good. And she would be great the entire time if the movie were better. But that's beside the point. I saw it mostly because I'm here for Renee Zellweger comeback. She is one of my favorite screen actresses. I just think she's so unique and interesting, particularly her performance in Bridget Jones's Diary, the first one. And I remember I was on the phone with my dad recently about this because he saw Judy and he thought she was quite good. And he was like, I mean, and he, when I reminded him she was Oscar nominated for Bridget Jones's Diary, he kind of scoffed. And I went, why did you do that? And he's like, what did she do that was so exceptional in Bridget Jones's Diary? And I said, watch it again. It's like, 
everything she does seems just so purely human. Mm. And in order to make something seem that effortless, it requires so much work. Yeah. Um, like, it's one thing when you see the wheels or, like, you go, wow, that's acting. In order for it to, for me to say one impressive acting, I need to not see the acting. There's this, and I don't want to, like, give away in case people haven't, like, watched it, but, like, the finale of Weeds. Sure. There's a scene between her and the actor Justin Kirk. Mm-hmm. Angels and, in America reunion. Yes. And um, that's true. And <laughs> it's so funny. When she won the Emmy or the Golden Emmy. Globe, do you Emmy. remember Do you remember her speech? For Angels? Do you remember what she said? I don't. I remember Meryl's speech. Because Meryl yes. said, there are days when even I think I'm overrated. overrated but but today. not today. Yes. Yes. And truly, not truly, today. But yeah. I remember Mary Louise, I forget if it was the Emmy or the Golden Globe. She got up and she was like... Justin Kirk told me if I didn't win today, I would be a loser. <laughs> and then she like starts laughing. But um, and she was very gracious to Tony Kushner in that speech because she was just sort of saying like a lot of roles, if they're good enough, you start winning awards just from the writing. Yeah. Which is, I mean, her performance as Harper is. It's my favorite performance for Harper. Um, yeah. So actually, so say, finish your thing about weeds because right. I want to get into Angels for a quick. She second. basically just um, the finale is this this scene, and her and Justin Kirk have been through hell over. I think it's like eight seasons, seven seasons. Yeah, so weeds. much. It's a long time, and they have been through war and back. Yeah. And I think at the end of the show, he sort of like goes his own way, and she goes her own way, and she has this moment. She's outside of a, a bathroom, and he comes out of a bathroom, and they kind of bump into each other, and. She kind of is like, hey, hey, how are you? And they're like catching up and and she's she's trying so hard to get him to she's like, come back. Like we can we can do this together again. It'll be really nice. We can do this. And and he kind of just keeps looking at her and he's like, no. And in the in the process of the whole scene unfolding, I've never seen so much happening in someone's head. Like mm. she's going from like a confident, like engager to she's devastated. She's like trying so hard not to cry and she's sucking it. She's just like her eyes are communicating so much. And I go back and I watch that a lot because it's just like when I click on Netflix mm-hmm. and I click on weeds, it's like that's what's the frozen still. It's like Mary Louise crying outside the bathroom. Sure. But um yeah, there's just something so match you can go back to Angels. I feel like I'm gonna just keep rambling about her outside the bathroom. But no, keep going. Yeah. First of all, this is your obsession. This is your episode. I can talk about Angels forever. Yeah. Uh, and I will uh-huh. if you give me the opportunity. So I want you to finish your thoughts. That's first. that's really it. I promise. That's okay, it. great. What a, what a wonderful point. Yeah, that's it. Um so yeah I was introduced to Angels in America through the miniseries Same. when I was 13. Same. Um, on HBO. I was not 13, but yes. Well, welcome to my family. I saw Les Mis when I was five. That's that's who the Coplick family was you to know, me. I didn't see Les Mis or Angels in America until after college. Interesting. Isn't that weird? That is a little weird. But, you know, like, I, some of it's not even my parents. Uh, I remember... what. When I was in eighth grade, our music teacher made us watch Amadeus, and that made me fall in love with Amadeus. And then, gone into the play, I prefer the movie. I think the play is brilliant. The movie is perfect. The movie is... It's the, I think it's the best adaptation of a play to a film ever. Oh my ever. god, the movie Followed is... very closely by Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Which I've never seen. But the movie it's a, it's of a great Amadeus movie. is... Yes. Perfect. But you know who is not in Amadeus? Mary Louise Parker. She's not. So, you know, she is in Angels in America. It's true. <laughs> That's, um... Anyway... So yes, fell into Angels in America through that, fell in love with it immediately, mm-hmm. got my hands on the script immediately, uh-huh. and then just sort of devoured any way I could view it, and like any performance I could find, anything online, what have you. My first live performance of Angels in America was at the Signature. I did a marathon day. Yeah. That was when it was Christian Michael Rice production. Michael Rice production, which was fine. Um, I loved seeing it live. I loved the intimacy. Christian Borel is probably the best straight man I've seen play prior. Mm. But, so, while I still love the miniseries, certain things about it I've become disillusioned by over more exposure to other interpretations Mm. and knowing the history of Angels in America. One of those things is actually Justin Kirk's prior, which I love, I still like a lot, but I've loved less and less the more I've become exposed to other priors and have realized sort of what prior has always meant to be. Mm. And if you watch Steven Spinella from the original Broadway company, that is prior, which is that, for lack of a better term, and I'm sorry if this offends anybody, but it's true, prior is meant to be a faggot. Mm. He is supposed to be a screaming queen. Um, and not in a prancy performative way. There is a performative quality to Pryor, but it's also very much part of his DNA. And Justin Kirk very much played it like a charismatic queer, which is how a lot of straight men have played that part. Unless you're Andrew Garfield, and then you do your, like, Desdemona voice. (sighs) 
I've only seen um I've only seen Justin Kirk do it. Justin Kirk is a good prior. He's not I don't want to say he's not bad. It's just it's I think if you were to watch Steven Spinella and you can go to Lincoln Center Library I know, and watch that's, it. That's on the to-do list. There's I mean, if I could describe the original Broadway production of Angels is that it's just pure fire. It is passionate, it is anger, yeah. but it's also funny as fuck. Of course. Like it is people forget how funny Angels is. And now it's become like this holy sacred text. Yeah, yeah. And so the last revival was just like it was very British and they forgot about a lot of the camp factor of it, which made me a little angry. Hmm. The one thing about the HBO miniseries that has held up and has still become the definitive element of that text to me is Mary Louise Parker's Harper. Mary Louise Parker, and I have now seen four different Harpers. Mm-hmm. Mary Louise Parker for me was the right blend of childish wonder, world weary, know it all, and then sort of like clairvoyant mm. uh, drug addict. The scene sort of like, you know, um, I burnt your dinner. Mm-hmm. All of those scenes with her and Patrick Wilson are just like all of her scenes. Yeah, that's and the monologue, of course, in the in the plane. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just she's firing on this. I don't really even well, know how to describe it. So, have you read "The World Only Spins Forward"? Yes, beautiful book. Oh Required my reading if you want to get dig into. And angels. it's so funny because when I was doing that play in Washington last year, you did angels. <clears throat> no, 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 oh, no, no. Sorry. But. Um, oh, the play you were doing in Washington. The play that I was Sorry. doing in, yes. two of the actors, I think just two of them, were in Angels at Roundhouse in Washington, in Bethesda, Maryland. I forget if it's mm-hmm. in D.C. or Maryland. And they are interviewed in that no edition of it. Yeah. And so I went back and reread their quotes. One of them played um, Belize and one of them played the angel. Got it. And they were both interviewed for it, I believe. Um, and it was really nice to sort of see mm-hmm. their... Names and yes. All for of those that. of you that don't know, the world only spins forward is an oral history book about and it is Angels in America. Comprehensive. It is yes, it is so in depth, phenomenal, so informative, and just really sort of breaks it all down. And the best part about it is that literally anyone who's ever yeah. sneezed on Angels in America in a professional setting is interviewed. Yep. So you have a million different takes, uh, and it's interesting to see the people that sort of line up in their theories. But uh, the thing about Harper that I never really God, like it was, I got it on sort of an emotional level, but I couldn't put it into words until I read the book, which is that Harper is clairvoyant. Like she actually has this sixth sense mm. that no one acknowledges, but it's sort of, it's almost like Harper would be a prophet herself if she weren't a woman and she weren't in like the line, and if she were in the line of the prior Walters, mm. she sort of has that gift that Pryor has mm. where she sort of, which is why they're able to communicate. Exactly. In. Exactly. Yeah. And why she sort of sees things on another level. Mm. And it's almost as if the Valium sort of helps her get there. In addition to numbing the pain of her life, it helps sort of enhance the sixth sense about her. Yeah. And watching Mary Louise Parker, I realize you sort of see her Harper like tap into her gift while also still like trying to figure it out while being in a Valium haze. Mm. So you sort of see her brain like work through the cloudiness and come to this conclusion while still being drugged out of her fucking mind. Mm. It's late. Well, I had a lot to think about. I burned dinner. Sorry. Not my dinner. My dinner was fine. Your dinner. I put it back in the oven and turned everything up as high as it could go, and I watched till it burned black. It's still hot. Very hot. Want it? You didn't have to do that. I know. It just seemed like the kind of thing a mentally deranged sex star pill-popping housewife would do. Uh-huh. So I did it. Who knows anymore what I have to do? How many pills? A bunch. Don't change the subject. I won't talk to you. No, nope. don't, don't do that. I, I, I'm i fine. Pills are not the problem. Not our problem. I want to know where you've been. I want to know what's going on. Going on with what? The job? Not the well, job. Well, I said I needed more time. Not Mr. the Cohen, job. Mr. I talked to him on the phone. He said that I had to hurry. Not... But I can't get you to talk sensibly Shut about up! what? I don't know what that is. I did not see her on stage until Sound Inside this season. That was my, that was my first time seeing her. Well, we can't go there yet. We'll, go, well, yeah, we'll get there. So what I wanted to actually, a thing that I wanted to bring up to you is like, you asked about like why I wanted to do my podcast. So Mary Louise is sort of a person who I continue to Google and Googled so much mm-hmm. since I first um saw snow geese um just because i'm always curious to find interviews with her and articles and read things and i've been so devastated she's written she's given so many articles i mean interviews where she said like 
this will be my last play. Like, I'm not mm. acting anymore. And I'm always like, wait, what? But then, like, there's always, like, another one. And I'm always yeah. like, oh, thank God. Please, 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 please yeah. don't stop. But um, she um, wrote this book mm-hmm. called Dear Mr. You. Have you heard of it? I have not. It, uh, it came out of just a few years after I saw The Snow Geese. And it's basically this, it's, it's a book that she wrote to all the men uh, that have impacted her life in some way. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to necessarily be a positive way, but who have impacted her. She's written to her father. She's written to, she wrote to like a, a taxi driver. She wrote to, um, the one that I'm interested in speaking to you about is this amazing thing in case you and whomever is listening hasn't seen this. I was doing a play in D.C., a separate one. You do a lot of plays in D.C. I do. I love Washington. They love James Crichton. They seem to be a fan, hopefully. They'll have me back. But um, she wrote this chapter called Dear Movement Teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really long. And it's basically about her movement teacher at the North Carolina School of the Arts, where she went with, like, Joe Mantello. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, they, like, went to school together. Can you imagine? Those are the two of my favorite actors what? and people in the world. I, I want them to be in something together. I can know. they be in something together? I know. I know. I what know. can we have them do together? Or even if he were to direct, he could, he could direct her too. Like what? I don't. I don't know. I just don't know. Something will happen. She has to stop teasing retirement because that needs could to happen. Could she? Could he direct her and Laurie? Met- Laurie Metcalf's too young for it, but we could age her up. Could he direct her and Laurie Metcalf in a production of Night Mother? Whoa! Wow. Put it into the universe. Guys, I think I just broke the internet. Put it into the universe. Put it into the universe. Yeah, she... Anyway. Certainly so, just broke my hymen. It's fine. It's amazing. <laughs> the idea of that. But, the idea of that. So she wrote this chapter called Dear Movement Teacher, and it basically is long. And she sort of chronicles her experience like in movement class, mm-hmm. in college, and how she feels like her professor kind of didn't respond to her. She feels like she wasn't... A great in like clowning and she wasn't great in like red nose and, and doing juggling mm-hmm. um, and she feels like she was sort of resentful of him and and it was it was not a scathing chapter but it's 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 heated yeah and at, at that point when I was doing it was the production of The Taming of the Shrew and I was I remember I had a lot of offstage time and I was googling her and I found she, there was a YouTube video from the school she came back to visit and she was asked to sit down on stage with the movement teacher that she wrote the chapter about and read the chapter to him in front of a humongous audience of current students and other ex not ex faculty members but from when she was a student there and it's such a fascinating look into who mary louise parker is as a person Mm -hmm. not an actress because she's like she's so uncomfortable as anybody would be but she's so uncomfortable to start reading it Mm -hmm. because it's very emotional and he's kind of just sitting there waiting to receive the information and she's like before she begins she just keeps like creasing the book and and she's kind of and she delivers this whole thing to him and her voice keeps kind of like going in and out and and it's just a fascinating character study and it sort of is a look into who she is and then they have this big conversation afterwards and she kind of that was also a, a proponent of why I wanted to do Actors on Process because it was such a clear visual into like I also wasn't great in my college movement class mm-hmm. like I was bad probably in clowning and like mask work and all those things like I wasn't I don't think that I was great at it sure. and it seems like she wasn't either And but she found something at the end of it and she credits him and she thanks him for it and it's this amazing look into who she is as a, an actress and she's incredibly generous with the students and she like gives back to them and it's this incredible conversation but after that then she starts doing like play after play after play and I'm just in the audience like two or three times for each one. Mm-hmm. So now, did you see Heisenberg? You said you didn't see Heisenberg. No. no. Sound Inside was Sound the only. Yeah, first one I saw. Um, so just like, I'll tell you a tiny, like little about, little bit about Heisenberg. Have you ever seen a play at Manhattan Theater Club? I have. The off-center, uh, the 
Not uh, off Four's ones? Uh, no, I've, so I've never seen Manhattan Theater Club's off-Broadway theater. I've only seen, I've only seen things that there's on Broadway. <laughs> on Broadway, at the Friedman. Yeah. Well, they have a space at Encores, and it's, like, underneath yeah. Encores. And it's, like, they have a, a bigger off-Broadway theater, and then they have, like, a really smaller one. Yeah. And so Heisenberg premiered in this really, 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 really tiny theater, and it was just her um, and her co-star in it. And basically... Again, I was sitting on top of her, and it was just this incredible scene study. And you can watch these clips on YouTube. Mm -hmm. There's, like, clips of her doing scenes. And the play closed, and I was devastated about it because I didn't get to go again. (laughs) But then it transferred to Broadway. Yes. But you didn't see it there, even though it was on Broadway. I know. But I don't remember why I didn't see it. I... (sighs) There are, there are periods of time when I'm just, like, really poor and I can't afford to go see shows. Totally. I'm very fortunate to have family all live in the city who likes to go see theater and they like to bring me. There are also times where I get to go for free because um, my editor is a theater critic, so oh, I get to be great. his... Yeah. So, but, you know, I, I'm at the mercy of what he wants to bring me to. Got it. Uh, so, my from what I remember, I think Heisenberg was at a time when I was very poor and really could not go see theater. And... Any theater that I did go to had to be what other people wanted to see. Totally. So that there's that. But yes, I'm I'm very fortunate that Sound Inside was my introduction because <gasps> goddamn what a great introduction it well, is. Well, we're going yeah. there in two seconds because that's next. Yes. But so continue with Heisenberg. Well, all I was going to say is that it transfers to Broadway, which is a much bigger house. Mm-hmm. And so they closed off the balcony and they moved basically everybody to... They put all of this onstage stadium seating on mm-hmm. stage, and the play existed in sort of the same cylinder that it was off Broadway. But it was amazing to watch her performance deepen. Mm-hmm. Like off Broadway, she was fantastic, and the New York Times basically said this is like her finest role since Proof, but yet, weirdly, she wasn't nominated for a Tony that year, which I was devastated I mean, by. Honestly, these things happen. It's... I know, but it was like, why would the you not do that? Bitch. I've come to peace with Sally Murphy's lack of Tony nominations in general. So we have to make peace with Mary Louise Parker not getting one for Heisenberg. Well, this year I'm I'm overjoyed that it seems incredibly likely that we'll find her on Tony night. Mary Louise Parker? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, because now she's got two coming up. Correct. Um, so, full disclosure, cannot wait for How I Learned to Drive. Yeah. I saw it at second stage with yes. Elizabeth Reeser, who was wonderful. And Norbert Leo Butts, who is also wonderful. But I cannot wait for Mary Louise Parker because... To return. Because, first, so How I Learned to Drive, that, it wasn't like the introduction of Paula Vogel, because Paula Vogel had a couple of other things mm. like the decade or so before that. I think Hot Baltimore Waltz, is that her? No, that's not her. No, I think there's a there's a Christmas play that I always used to see on display at the drama bookshop, but I'm forgetting the other ones now too. I think How I Learned to Drive was what sort of catapulted her. She won the Pulitzer. She won the Pulitzer, yes. So it it brought her up to a higher level of fame as a playwright than Mm. it had before then. But I I remember reading... Because I've also researched it. Because I saw I saw a second stage and I've read the play. It's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful play. It's harrowing. It's yeah, but it's what's so I love pieces. I first of all love pieces that are messy, but also about the messiness of life mm. and the gray area. I think all truly great dramas are about the gray area of life, and it's how you come to it with your own perspective. Uh, it's why I always hate when people write think pieces about like flawed characters in movies or plays and like this person's terrible i'm like yeah part so many yeah. i was like 98 percent of theatrical or dramatic stories is about someone making the wrong decision for the and first also, three acts then the four act fourth act they figure it out and also like people in life are kind of oh yeah they can be awful what are some of the most famous tweets are people being like lol put you know conditioner on my toast this morning or it's like lol ghosted someone like you know it's People talk about their flaws, but they try to do it in a joking manner. But sure. Anyway. Sure. This is all to say, you know, researched more about How I Learned to Drive, which is, you know, again, harrowing story with really a lot of comedy in there. Yeah. It's why I love Martin McDonough, who takes these dark subject matters and is able to find comedy out of them. Yeah, yeah. The Pillow Man was like the first play that I saw on Broadway that made me go, oh, shit. How can I be laughing one second and horrified the next? It totally changed what I realized plays could do. Leading us to How I Learned to Drive, which is this very theatrically told story of a truly disgusting subject matter, but it's done in such care and, again, humor and 
emotion and yeah. wonder wonder and I read the New York Times review for the original off-Broadway production with Mary Louise Parker and the way Ben Branley talks about the play the production and her and her co-star and just saying like how perfect it all is and just otherworldly I know so the fact that we're getting her her original co-star and the original director I mean it almost feels like it's being set up to fail because it's like there's just too much pressure for them to recreate this lightning in a bottle but, but at I the same think- time yeah, think about like where, how far they've come the last twenty two years, yeah. and how much farther they can go. I think it's going to be. I cannot magic. wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I think it's going to be wild, and I, I'm, I'm so excited. But, um, but yeah, the, all I was going to say about finishing Heisenberg was just that she basically like changed very subtly the way that she spoke. Like she kind of had a little mm-hmm. bit of like not like a lisp, but like she had a little bit of a vocal affectation. It was interesting to see how she deepened herself and I like again, I'm like saying this twice, but you really have to watch these like clips of her. Mm-hmm. And there's like two 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 minute clips of her sort of like and Dennis Arndt, I think is his name, Dennis Arndt, doing the the scenes together and just the way that she's listening to him. I think that's the key is how she's listening to you. Yeah. It sort of makes you feel like you're the only person in the room and all of it is so reactionary. She's always just ready to like go. Yeah. Nothing's pre-planned. I think it's pure reaction. Mm-hmm. But talk to me about the sound inside. <laughs> you didn't know anything walking in. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. I was I so read the script before I saw it. I did not read nothing. I just read reports. Uh, so I knew I truly knew nothing about the sound inside. Mm-hmm. I adored it. I think it was beautiful. I've talked about it on this pod already. Oh, before I get into her, I think the play is really fascinating. Uh, just what it leaves unsaid, what it does say is great. I thought he was really wonderful. The design and the staging of it is some of my favorite I've ever seen because I. I so I talked about how like um, Tony Kushner sort of. Uh, maybe I didn't talk about it, but maybe I was just thinking of it. Tony Kushner sort of sees all the possibility in theater and like what's on a stage and what you can and can't do. And I love that idea. It's very Bob Fosse-esque of a dark mm. black stage and sort of what, where, how far does it go? You know, mm. it's what I love about this design of Phantom is that Phantom is essentially a black box with pieces coming in and out. And it feels like spectacle because you don't know how far it extends or how far it can go or what else could pop out. And that is the design of the sound inside. Is And on a theatrical level, that's exciting to me. But then on a thematic level, it really brings up memory. How even our best memories, we don't remember it all. We remember specific things in great detail. And then everything else is sort of a blur. Mm. And I love how the design and the staging reflect that. The whole thing is practically a monologue for her with like pieces where she gets to pause. Yeah. And talk and go in so the wrong hands. Oh yeah. That play could be steered into the wall. Oh yeah. Because we have to be on board with the narrator. We have to be on board with her the, so immediately. And we all it all the the production also has to guide us ever so gently yeah without hitting us over the head with anything without lagging or going too quickly it has to be so well timed and that production was so well timed but so i mean we talked about dropped in natural reaction action all that stuff she starts in such an organic place yeah mid-thought things come easy to her they come difficult to her you can see what are pre-thought sentences what are coming out spur of the moment what are what's difficult what's easy moments where she i love she would always have these moments where she would write down the thought as she's thinking it because she's having the thought and then you see mid thought she goes this is a good thought and then starts writing it down Mm -hmm. i loved that one of my favorite moments in the entire play and it's just a brilliant piece of comedic acting without giving away too much she's talking about a doctor's visit that doesn't go the way that the doctor thinks and it's and it's a it's good news. But she says, my doctor's telling me this. He looks disappointed. And yeah. the entire audience Roaring. erupted. Yeah. It was But the wonderful. minute the monologue begins, mm-hmm. people are just hysterically laughing. Mm-hmm. She understands how to operate in a way with tempo and pace and where to pitch her voice and how to get... Like, she just immediately, with her skill and I think just her natural intuition knows exactly how to charm an audience. Mm-hmm. And she knows exactly when to quote-unquote theatricalize it mm-hmm. and when it needs to be played more intimately. There's a, a scene, and I won't give it away, because it's still playing. Yes, it is. It's got for four a few, more weeks. Yeah. Um, 
uh, there's this scene with her and, and, and one of her students and they kind of uh, are sitting together in her living room and they both kind of are not talking and they're just kind of looking at each other. And again, it goes back to that idea of like how they're listening with each other. Something else I wanted to just talk about is her generosity though. The guy who's playing the part, um, my gosh, what Will? is his last name? Is Will, it? yeah, but what is his last name? I'm forgetting his name. He's so great in it. Um, I want to call him Will Good Actor. Will Great Actor. Um, shoot, I forget his last name, but sorry, Will. Sorry. Um, and he basically, like, when he's giving interviews, says that, you know, all the interviewers are like, what is it like to work with Mary Louise? And he says, you know, she's so kind and she's so this, and she'll come up to me and she'll just say, like, I think if we tried like this, or if you tried that, it might, like, light something up. Mm -hmm. And he's like, she does it with such sort of care that it doesn't feel like, why are you doing it like that? Mm -hmm. Or like, why don't you try this? Like, he just, the way that it seems like their relationship is working, and, and, and she also said in an interview too that she's very passionate about helping like younger actors and she wants to sort of nurture mm -hmm. that. Um, I just found all that to be very evident in her work in this play. And it's devastating and mm -hmm. it's gorgeous and it's only 90 minutes, but it feels, it, it doesn't even feel like an hour and a half. It feels so short. It's just this, and what I loved so much about it, like you talk about the black box of it, it just felt completely you didn't know what was coming next mm -hmm. and it all just i was so immersed i never wander with her i'm never like what what time is it mm -hmm. where am i going after this do i have to make a train like i'm always just so mesmerized by what she does and i try to capture it like because we want to take notes as actors like yeah. what are you doing but i think for her it really is just yeah well so there's something about her I've I, so I have found I think one of the reasons why I've been gravitating more towards uh, straight plays lately because I've seen so many straight plays in the last year more than musicals actually mm. I find more of the actors in straight plays in Broadway and off Broadway these days to be a little more interesting than the musical theater ones. Part of that is because the demands of musical theater have gotten to the point where like you just have to focus on your technique if you're going to do it eight times a week like the scores that they write the dances they make you dance it's like how can how can a personality shine through when you are Cooter slamming, belting G's eight times a week. Like, you just have to focus on being healthy. Straight plays is a little more leniency. But Mary Louise Parker is a bit of an alien in the same way that, like, Barbara Harris was an alien mm. or Sandy Dennis was an alien. Wow. Where Sandy Dennis was a little more um, indulgent, but... Or, like, Uta Hagen where, or Elaine Stritch, where it's... There is the technique, there is the, there is the intelligence, and there's the craft... But there's something about them that is very unique mm. and very otherworldly. Totally. That they bring to every part. Yep. And yeah, so that's like the stuff that you really can't capture. And it's this idea almost of, I don't know where you're going next, but I also it's know, so it's, but I also know there's a comfort in knowing it's not going to get out of control. Right. It's what makes you want to stay with them. Mm -hmm. I have my technique. I've done my homework, but I'm leaving it at the door today. Exactly. And it's this idea of almost... I feel like with with that kind of work, it's you do the work so you can eventually forget about it. You know, you've worked the play inside and out and all the technicalities of where I have to go for this lighting cue, where I have to go for this quick change, where what fervor that the scene has to get to by the end of it. Mm. And then everything leading up to that is just sort of what happens in the moment, you know? Yeah. Um, the thought that just popped into my head, and I apologize if this is like a conclusion because I don't know, but it feels to me like what is also so emotional about her. Mm -hmm. And I get this way just about like theater in general. Like every time I wrap up my own podcast, I sort of say to the actors, like, why do you love this? Like, why do you keep coming back? Because I, I have such deep admiration for it. And I, I just so love being in the audience of a play. And I have such deep admiration for actors who are able to put themselves, it's like a course line, like on the line, like eight times a week. Mm -hmm. And just kind of, who can do that? And I'm so blown away by the fact that this is a woman who has received numerous awards and has had fame in television and in films and 
but she is like a woman who is committed to kind of like a life in the theater. Like mm-hmm. she's like blood and guts. She's here from what was it September to January doing mm-hmm. a play. She's going to take like a month off or something mm-hmm. and she's going to start the next one for another 6 months. And it's just like I so admire somebody like that and I think that that's also where the admiration comes from. Mm-hmm. Just watching the hard work of somebody who is so diligent and who cares so much about it and I think that's another part of why she's so magnetic is because people know that like when she's there and she's doing something she mm-hmm. like wants to be there. Yeah. Not a, no one's doing it for the money. No. Especially now. So like if you look at her theater career, so Prelude to a Kiss was the thing that launched her, right? right? And then took like a couple of years away from theater came back with bus stop which nobody talks about i have a feeling that production was not very well received i don't know i don't know a lot about it and i know very little i know she did it i think that was with her and billy crudup that might have been where they met it was at circle in the square no one talks about it so it's like mm. pro- it was probably one of those things where people just forget about it now mm. and then went away again came back with proof and it's sort of like she goes she doesn't necessarily go to hollywood to no. to like find all the nurturing roles it's to get the money to get the fame so she can go back to the theater and do what she loves and right. know that people will help her put it on yeah because and she was critically sort of like the critics were not kind about Hedda Gabler no. and they were not kind about the Snow Geese. I remember I think it was the New York Times reviewed it as like a stodgy costume drama yeah. and I was just sort of like <gasps> and she had you know she had those were her two things between like sort of like her reverence and sort of people talking yeah. so highly of her and then it wasn't really until I think Heisenberg when the New York Times yeah. was like she's She's back, back and she's better than ever and she's yeah. this and and then it's just continued to escalate with the sound inside and I imagine with How I Learned to Drive yeah. yeah well I think Mary Louise Parker is the true definition of a critic's darling like and it's not to say that she's never gotten bad reviews obviously we just mentioned Hedda Gabler but like even Chenoweth when Chenoweth Kristen Chenoweth like Ben Brantley adores Kristen Chenoweth yeah. so much and when she did Promises Promises his review which was pretty much a pan of the whole production it was negative towards her as well, but it was the kind of negative where he was like, why are you letting my darling fail? And I felt like with Hedda Gabler, a lot of the critics were not upset with her. Mm. They were upset with the production for letting her fail. It's like, don't you know what you have here? How could you get Mary Louise Parker and Hedda Gabler and have it be this big of a misfire? Like, There was anger behind it because they were like, this should have been an event. And for it to not be is so disheartening. Sure. Um, so that's that's how I read those reviews. I didn't get to see Hedda Gabler. Neither did I. Um, and I didn't see the Snogies either. I think, when was the Snogies? 2012? I think 13, maybe. Oh. Why didn't I see that? I don't know. Manhattan Theater Club. Manhattan Theater Club also, I ignored for a very long time because oh. they just kept on doing things I wasn't interested in. Oh. I think the first thing of theirs that I saw, well, no, I saw Love Music. Because that was Donna Murphy and Michael Service. How could you not? That was the first thing of theirs I ever saw. And then I didn't see anything again until Casa Valentina, which oh. was the Harvey Firestein. Yeah, play. yeah. Yeah, which was pretty good. I loved that. Um, the I saw The Father, Little Foxes, uh-huh. Fool for Love, Ink. I feel like there, I saw Prince of Broadway. I feel like I saw one thing that made me go like this. Oh, Venus and Venus Fur. Venus and Fur. Venus and Fur was the first Manhattan Theater Club. Yes. That was the first Manhattan Theater Club that production was where I was like, this, my this. face on fire. Absolutely. Her, and it, like, those are the kind of creatures that I'm interested in watching. Yes. Nina Arianda, Mary Louise, mm-hmm. Jessica, Hex, like, et cetera. Those are the sort of creatures. And Jessica did the assembled parties at yeah. Manhattan. Like, all of those sort of creatures of, like, theater. Yes. And, and I saw Little Foxes with Laura Linney and Cynthia <sighs> Nixon. And they are so good. Manhattan Theater Club is so good about oh getting some of the best goddamn stage actresses we have today and just giving them opportunities and Laura Laney's about to do a one woman play there so like in some ways thank god for Manhattan Theater Club oh my god I love Francis McDormand in Good People Cynthia Nixon in Rabbit Hole like they're give uh uh, or Cynthia Nixon in Wit Tyne Daly in Masterclass like they're letting us have these amazing stage actresses it's true and just giving them uh you know vehicles which I'm I'm here for Totally. Let's give them more. Totally. And I think Manhattan Theater Club has been especially kind to Mary Louise. Absolutely. Um, I think Lynn Meadow, the artistic director, and, and Mary Louise have a, a deep sort of connection with each other. And yes. I'm eternally grateful to that. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so any final words on Mary Louise Parker that you want the masses to hear? <sighs> I'm just... I, I kind of like said it, I feel like. So I'm like a broken record. But I'm just... I'm so... There are very few people who I would absolutely drop 
everything for. Mm-hmm. And she happens to be one of them. And I will see anything she does. And I'm just so... I feel like I can like send you her like a thank you note right now. But I'm just so grateful to her commitment to like a lifetime in the theater and what it means. And I love her book, mm. Dear Mr. You. I'll have and to I look it up. highly recommend it. It's a short read and it's so beautiful and poetic. And there's an audiobook of her reading it herself. Mm. Um, and I just would follow you, Mary Louise, to the end of the earth. And I look forward to whatever you write next because I know she's interested in doing a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. Or any other television or film appearances that happen. I'm just curious and, and grateful and all of that. Mm. Um, that's sort of my like sign off, I guess. I'm just I feel honestly like really grateful for her, and I thank her for sort of also being a major catalyst in terms of my desire to do and see so many plays. Wonderful. I love all of that. Thanks. Um, so James, where can people find you? On the interwebs, on social media, internet, oh. all that good stuff. Um, I have a website, my personal <laughs> acting website, which has links to the podcast. Um, it's just, um, what is www.james-crichton.com. Crichton is spelled C-R-I-C-H-T-O-N. But you'll correct. know that. You'll know that when you listen to this podcast. You can see it in the little... The title. title. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that. Yeah. And then on Instagram, I think it's just James underscore Crichton. Lots of things to trick you. Mm. Yeah. I love it. And that's sort of it. That's it. Okay. Uh, Twitter? Do you have Twitter? I do. It's also James underscore Crichton, but I like mostly am there to read things and like them. Uh, Do you accept friend requests from... Well, you do accept friend requests from people you don't know. I know that to be true. But uh, sometimes people come on like, don't friend me on Facebook. That's for friends and family. And then Um, some people are like, do it. Well, Facebook, I tend to like not look at so often anymore. So like Instagram is probably like, if you're interested, if you think I'm funny. But um. That yeah. also wasn't a read, guys. Like, I, the whole reason I know James Crichton is because I friended him on Facebook. Yeah, you did. And trusting person that he is, he was like, this guy doesn't look like a serial Well, we killer. have a lot of mutual friends. We do. Yes. So I was like, okay. Yeah. As long, I mean, if we have more than like 20 friends in common, I'm like, good to go. There's something going on. Yeah. For there, sure. There's always something going on, honey. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram, Matt Koplik. You know the usual spelling. You can find John Miscavige on Instagram and Twitter. Don't friend me on Facebook just because I a I rarely use it and b unless like we have the thirty mutual friends I don't I don't I probably won't accept it. Um, yeah, I just I don't trust people. I don't trust people. Got it, uh, James. Yeah. We close out every episode with a Broadway diva. Uh, is there anybody that's immediately coming to mind to you right now that you would like to do? I can tell you if we've had her or not. And I don't talk about it. You just play a song about yeah, it. Yeah, she just plays out. She'll play us I'm out. I'm sure you've done Bernadette Peters. We have. <sighs> I know, I'm sorry. It's gotten to the point now where we're at, I think this is going to be episode 60 or 61. Whoa. So by that point, well, we've been around for two and a half years. Oh, wow. Um, so I have to think a little out of the box. Yeah. I mean, there. I think there are a couple like big ones that we haven't done yet, but also, yeah, out of the box too. Oh, God. Um... <laughs> Did you do Tanya Pinkins? We haven't. You haven't? Is we that haven't. it then? That, I think that could be it. That could Great. be it. Uh, yeah. Now, I just, now I'm just trying to think of what moment of Carolina changed to do. I'll tell you. Um, and I am mean and I am tough. Sure. But no, well, do well, that. No, what, what moment were you going to say? Do I go from like slam? I'm going to slam the iron. What point is is that in? And, um, I got three kids. No, um, the big one. Oh, to- oh, Lot's wife. But no, you can't end that dramatically. Well, also, like I do love me some Tanya Pinkins, and she did act the shit out of that role. That song, even on the cast recording, she does. Not oh, so you want something that's? Uh, I mean, okay. I, I want I want to do them. I don't want to do them dirty. How about um? How about why don't you do? I got four kids. I got four kids. Cool. I could also do um. Black as a moocher from Wild Party. I've yet to oh. I've yet to play any of Lacuse's Wild Party on this. Pod. I'm sure you've done Sally Murphy in Wild Party. I no, you know what we did. So I, I, when I saw Sally Murphy in Admissions, and I staged toward her because I don't. St- did you see Admissions? Were of you course. At- Wait, so you to you, see Jessica? Well, you made a f- oh Jessica because it's yeah. just yeah pure so, love. Yeah, so you made a face. I was like, were you in it? No, um, no I loved yeah. Admissions. So yeah, I saw it because of her. Of course. And I don't stage door anymore, mostly because like I'm too old for it, and I know too many people now in the theater that it's like it's it's a little weird. Yes, but I was like, there are three people left that I was stage door: Audra, Judy Kuhn, and Sally Murphy. And I did Audra when I saw Porgy and Bess in college. I saw 
when I saw Fun Home, I am friends with Emily Skeggs, and she introduced me to Judy Kuhn without telling me, by the way. Wow. So I made a complete ass out of myself. Wow. Um, and then Sally Murphy was the last one. And I had her sign my carousel program. But so when I talked about it on the pod, I specifically talked about her line readings in the carousel album with the If I Loved You scene and the way she does the so end of the amazing. scene. Uh, Don't worry about it. Billy and John's like we have to play that out he's like that's our Sally Murphy clip so no we didn't have Sally Murphy singing sadly but it's her line reading which Got is it. great uh, so no we'll do Tiny Pinkins we'll do either Wild Party we'll do Carol yeah. Change I'm gonna keep it a mystery for you great love it so I'll listen know. to it and know yes I'll type that up uh, one second anyway in the meantime guys this has been Broadway Breakdown um, I'm Matt Coplick you're James Crichton James thank you so much for coming thank you for having me yeah. in this wonderful purple room <laughs> this wonderful purple room which isn't a metaphor it's we're literally in a purple literally room literally purple uh, yeah until then guys check us out on on iTunes Spotify SoundCloud uh, all the things and yeah check us away Tanya woo 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 bye bye Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.